Uh, if you brought your Bibles, you can open them up to 2 Peter. Uh, and we're going to be moving around a lot today. We're going to wrap up uh, uh, 2 Peter. And so I'm going to be jumping around through a lot of different scriptures, but I invite you, encourage you to, uh, to follow along. The, the words will be on the screen as well. We're going to begin in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Here's what it says. Here's what, it's, oh, there's what it says. Peter says, and so dear friends, this is right near the end of his letter. He says, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. He says, while you are waiting, what are you waiting for? How many of you are waiting for retirement? How many of you are waiting for football season to start? Like we're waiting for a lot of things. But if you want to know what Peter is talking about specifically, when he says, while you are waiting, you got to go back and listen to last week's teaching. Because Peter says, one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. He says it's on the way. The day when God will bring this amazing thing that he begun to completion. And so Peter is picking up with this theme of, of looking forward to this future day. He said there is this day coming where God will complete, finish what he started. He said on that day a new heaven and new earth will come. And he says we are somewhere between that day and this day. And he says so in this in-between space, while you are waiting, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless he says, in the in-between space, make every effort to live the good life. And in chapter 1, in the first few verses, here's how you do that. He says, I want you to live the good life by, he says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. Amen. And these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. And then he goes on and really where we're going to land today in verses 5 through 7. He says, in view of all of this, there's that phrase again, make every effort to respond to God's promises. He says, supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and, and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. You see, he says, through his divine power and the precious promises he has given us, he has given us, he has provided us everything we need to, to escape the snares of this world and live a godly life to live a good life. And so the next few verses, if you'll permit me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a visual. It's right over here behind the curtain. 
What he does literally is give us a ladder. Who's, who's scared of heights? I need a volunteer. <laughs> Just kidding. Although we did ins- up our insurance at the church this past week. Here's what he does literally. Did you see it? Lynn, you can go ahead and put that verse back up there. We're going to spend a few minutes here. He says, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with moral excellence and knowledge and self-control, patience. All of these things here in order. So I just want to spend a few minutes and talk about this ladder. Some call it the virtue ladder of Second Peter. He adds virtue on top of virtue, and he's not saying that necessarily one is, is, is better than another, but each increase the other, culminating in Christian love. If you will, it is the godly life or the good life ladder. First, he begins with faith, and, and I love what, what Tozer said. He said that real faith not only does something for us, but it does something to us. When Peter talks about faith, this, this foundation that we even sang about just a few minutes ago, he was talking about the, the certainty and centrality of Jesus for everything. I know we've talked about in this series how common an idea, even in our world, is this idea that Jesus is some good guy. Jesus is is a good teacher. Jesus is a good moral person. And and Peter says, no, Jesus isn't just good. Jesus is God. And that is a whole different idea because if Jesus is God, then we must pay attention. We must have faith in what he tells us. And what he tells us is that this thing ain't over yet. Are you with me? That there is more to come. And so with your faith, take, take this faith and build upon your faith. Supplement it and make every effort to increase your faith with what is, he says is moral excellence. Some translate, uh, and, and depending on the version you're looking at, some translate moral excellence into virtue or courage. Um, a couple of things about moral excellence is, is a, a, essentially, it, it almost, uh, I don't know if there are any like 80s and 90, 90s kids, you guys remember Bill and Ted? How do you all know that? Like if I asked you to tell me the books of the Old Testament, how many, but everybody knows Bill and Ted. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, that was tangent. But Bill and Ted, what did they say? They said, be excellent to each other. Remember that's what he says. That's the, it's this idea of moral excellence is, is to be your best self. The best version of yourself is, is, an, is, is living a, an effective life in service of God. And moral excellence is, it, it's important to note, and, and you'll see, that in, see this in, a, in all of these steps, moral excellence is not, he is not giving you permission to retreat from the world. Well, I don't live like them, so I'm just going to live over here. I don't agree with how they live, so I'm just going to back up. I'm just going to live inside my house or inside my church walls. That is, moral excellence is not a retreating word, but it is a faith advancing word. He says, in the world, 
in the difficulty, in the struggle, in the pain, in, in the culture you're in, I want you to live excellent lives. And upon that, he says, I want you to build knowledge. This made me think of the, the guy's work day. Maybe I already, already gave this example. A couple of weeks ago, we had a guy's work day here at the church, and um, somebody said, well, why didn't you have the girls? And I said, well, I wanted people who knew how to do stuff. Um, wow. All right, I'm paying for that one. I'm paying for that one. Anyway, just kidding. Uh, we had a guy's work day, and so we had this whole list of jobs. And here, here I got this awesome group of guys coming in, and, and, uh, and they're all like, hey, give me that job. I know how to do this. And when they, when they would say, well, I know how to do this, in my head I would say, okay, do you really know how to do this, or is this like what you just tell your wife, you know how to do this? You know, like there, there are these versions of like, like, as, is this a, is this a, like, you know how to do this because you have done this 12 times before? Or is this a, I know how to do this because I'm a smart guy and I can figure this out? Which one is it? Right? Like, teenagers are great at this. Like, have you, you know what I'm talking about? Like, teenagers are great at, like, I got this. Have you ever been around teenagers? Like, they've never driven a car before, never done nothing. And, hey, could you go park? I got this. You know, Peter is, is talking about that, not just that, that knowledge that resides somewhere, somewhere up in here, but, it, but it's the application of that knowledge. It's knowledge that, that comes from experience. Even an amateur musician can read the notes on the, on the page and tell you what the notes are. But, but the distance between an amateur musician and a professional who has spent years and decades familiarizing themselves with those notes is, is extreme. And so he advocates a practical knowledge, a knowledge from experience. Let me ask you, uh, do, we, do we ever really learn from our elders? Do you ever really learn from the people who have gone before you? Do we, do we ever really learn from history? What do you guys think? Raise your hand if you think we learn from our elders. All right? Raise your hand if you think we don't learn nothing from nobody. Okay. I, I would say I don't want to be pessimistic, but, but I would say we all aspire to learn from our forefathers, to learn from our elders. But, but I think in reality, very, very few of us actually do. I think it is something in the human nature that we are, we are destined, and I think I've got a lot of evidence to support this theory, we are destined to repeat the same mistakes over and over and over. You know why? Because I, I don't think we can separate knowledge from experience. I think there is something in the experience of going through that thing, no matter how painful it is, it's that place that we really learn, that we really grow. Maybe not, you can just, if you don't like that, just mark that part of the teaching out. That's fine. He says, with knowledge, I want you to add self-control. Um, I, I know maybe sometimes that, that seems like, like an emotionless word or, or, or like, like somehow unfeeling. Uh, I, I hate sometimes that, 
that that sometimes maybe Christians are seeing like they're 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 in such good self-control that that they don't have emotion or, or that they don't have feelings or they don't have passion. And and that is not what this word means. I pray to God that, that Christians are the most passionate people out there. But it but it is not allowing our passions to to run us over. I think self-control, when he says it, is, is not a lack of passion. It envisions uh, a, a situation in which passion is still there, but there, it is passion under control. It, literally, uh, uh, we've got a grip on our passion. So our passions become our servants and not tyrants. Are you with me? And I think this is where we get, too many in our world get incredibly sideways. Lots of theologians and scholars and, and people who are writing about 2 Peter, they say this is the big one. Not lack of passion, but, but control. To have our passion serve us, not the other way around. And then he talks about patient endurance, which I forgot to put on my ladder. I guess. Did I? Yeah. Sheesh. What kind of preacher am I? Patient endurance is on the list too, even though it's not on my ladder. Again, this is, this is a, I don't know, this, this is a courageous word. Maybe we look at it, patience and endurance, oh yeah, okay. But no, I mean, there's, this, this is not a passive word. It means to, to remain under. I love what uh, Cicero said. He said this, this kind of endurance is the voluntary and daily suffering of hard and difficult things for the sake of honor and usefulness. And, and this patient endurance is, is not, uh, it, it doesn't have a, uh, it doesn't go on through infinity. It, it, has, it has an end point to it. It, it has a, a, a sense of looking forward. Remember what Peter said? He said, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And he says, this day is coming. It's why we celebrate the season of Advent every December. It's a season of expectation. He said nobody can be pregnant perpetually or forever, right? There is a moment coming. And while you are awaiting, do you get that sense? Looking forward, I want you to endure. It reminds me of what Hebrews says in chapter 12. Lynn, you go and put that, that scripture up there. In Hebrews 12, in verses, verse 2, I think. You know what, Lynn? I didn't give it to you. Man, <laughs> patiently endure back there. Um, <laughs> Hebrews 12, 2 says this about Jesus. He says, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, disregarding its shame. That's not a passive endurance. And then he says in verse 1 of that same chapter, applying it to us, he says, so let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. It is this courageous acceptance of everything life can throw at us with continued forward, upward advance. 
The next building on that is this idea of godly, godliness. Maybe your, your translation uses the word piety, but, but it, it means an all-in response, a heart response. And godliness in, in this sense really relates to two things. It is, it is living in a right relationship with God, but also with others. You see that. The Bible talks about, you know, before you show up at the temple, settle the dispute you may have with your neighbor. You see that? Godliness is, is, is choosing and pursuing a right relationship with God, but also with other people. Then he talks about brotherly affection. The word is Philadelphia. You guys know this, right? You know what Philadelphia is? It's the city of yeah, exactly. It's not really, but that's what they say it is, if you've ever been. And I love that uh, he includes this, because this is, this is a word about the interconnectedness of, of our faith. It, it is this idea that, that, that no person can be a Christian alone. What Peter is saying is that, is that there is something wrong with the religion which finds the claims of personal relationships a nuisance. Did you hear that? How do you view others? Uh, it's easy for me when I'm on 65 to just see everyone else as in my way. It's easy for me to see, see other people and their needs and their hurts and their, and their wants as a drain on my time and on my schedule. It's easy for me, and if you don't catch yourself, you'll be the same way too. You'll, you'll find yourself doing zigzags around people throughout your day because I've got important stuff that I need to get done. And Peter calls that out in us. Apparently, this was not a new thing. He calls that out in us and, and says how you view people matters. And your engagement with others matters. Sometimes people tell me, you know, well, tell me about your faith. What's going on? Well, I'm just doing my own thing. And I'm thinking, no, we need each other. Our faith grows when we are connected to each other. And finally, he says, uh, and, and this is going to be maybe hard for some of you. He says, okay, just, just paying attention to people around you. That's, that's a good first step, but that's never going to be enough. Affection for people, for your neighbors, isn't enough. Because the pinnacle virtue is love. And Corinthians says that, you know, if we have every spiritual gift, if you have the gift of leading worship and the gift of teaching, if you have, if you have all these amazing gifts and lack love, you're just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Maybe if you get all of these others right, if we miss that one, you've missed them all. Peter goes on in verse 8 of chapter 1. He says, the more you grow like this, 
the more you grow in these steps to the good life, the godly life, he says, the more productive and useful you'll be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 10, he says, he says to, so dear brothers and sisters, he says, related to this ladder of virtues, he says, I want you to work hard. Prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. So why does he give us a list? Why the list? Why, why, is, why, does, why does Peter give us the ladder? What's, what's his fear? Let me ask you, maybe, maybe ask this way. What remains like important in your life? What, what remains center of your life that you don't work hard at? How likely are you to continue something that doesn't make you feel useful or productive? What's the odds? If doing a thing doesn't, doesn't somehow produce something in you, how likely are you to continue? I'll put it to you another way. Um, it used to be uh, a few years ago, the, the number used to be 13 Sundays a year. Uh, 13 was the number of Sundays the average Christian in North America misses church. 13. So that's three months. Maybe that doesn't, that seems like a lot to me. <laughs> 13 Sundays, so now some of you, I see you're counting in your head already. Some of you are like, man, I got five left. No, no, no. <laughs> um, well, there's new numbers out. The new numbers say that the average Christian misses two Sundays a month. What remains in your life that you don't work hard at? How likely are you to continue something that doesn't make you feel useful or productive? See, I, I think maybe the real threat that, that Peter's audience is facing, and, and a threat for us too, the, the real threat to your Christian life is inactivity. James Moffat uh, put it this way. I think I have this quote. He says, the Christian life must not be an initial spasm followed by chronic inertia. He says, there's a tendency for it to be just that, a, a moment of enthusiasm when the wonder of Christianity is realized and then a failure to work out the Christian life in what are those two words? Continuous progress. Remember that phrase that Peter uses again and again. He begins his letter and ends his letter with that phrase in chapter one, verse five. He says, make every effort. Make every effort to supplement your faith with, with generous provision. And, and, and I love this. Like next week we're going to give backpacks to kids and, and, and all of this kind of stuff. And what he says is, is don't just give them the bare minimum. But make every effort is to equip, to richly supply, to lavishly pour out everything that's necessary. They're, they're wanting and lacking for nothing. It's, it's lavish generosity. 
And it's a commission to us to not be content with the bare minimum, but, but to pursue the loveliest and most splendid life possible. Let me ask you, when your friends and coworkers and neighbors look at your devotion to your faith, what do they see? Do they see someone who with lavish devotion is making every effort? Or do they see someone who's at church maybe two Sundays a month? To end his letter, Peter writes this in chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Verse 17 says, he says, he says, be on your guard. Don't be carried away. Don't lose your secure footing. Instead, he says, rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to him, both now and forever. Amen. You must grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter already assumes that you've got room to grow. That you've got room to stretch. That that there are steps on this ladder that are deserving of your attention. We know that Christianity means an ever-deepening personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He, he talks about, and Peter is challenging, challenging in us, a progression of faith, like an army marching towards an objective. That's why here at Aspen Grove, like our mission, our, our vision, our purpose, our calling, we feel is to grow followers of Jesus Christ. How are you growing as a follower of Jesus Christ. We would advocate a couple of small steps. The first step is to look at Jesus' life. That means to be in God's word on a regular, weekly basis. And we think you need to do this not just in your own personal quiet study time with your little cup of coffee, which is cute and we love it, but we think you need to be in that word with someone else. It needs to be interconnected in that community because it's in that interconnectedness around God's word that you will be challenged and be held accountable to it when it speaks to you, and we know that it will. So we challenge to grow as followers of Jesus Christ. We support discipleship groups. We even have a growth track to help you get into this space. If, if I died tomorrow and was looking down from heaven and everyone at Aspen Grove was meeting regularly around God's word with someone else, I would think, man, we've been successful. But if we come and we worship and we sing amazing songs and we serve in the community and we never grow, if you at the end of this year look back and say, I'm in the exact same step that I was at the beginning of, your, of this year, then man, we, we have really missed something. And so uh, I brought an extra step for you this morning. 
I stole this from the nursery. For some of you, maybe today, that's the step you need to take. Maybe you're not ready for step seven or eight. Maybe some of these steps seem far, far out of reach or beyond your ability. Uh, One of the things that I'm learning in ministry all the time is that my step one may be somebody else's step 10. And that doesn't hurt my feelings. What, What would hurt my feelings is for you to take no step at all. But today, and, and through Peter, I want to encourage you and challenge you, even if it's a baby step. I challenge you to keep climbing the ladder of Christian virtue. I think, I think we learn him as we live with him and for him. And so... With Peter, I bid you to bend every energy, to make every effort to grow, to grow in grace and knowledge, to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Great place to start is in communion with each other. In just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to dismiss you. Uh, if, you're, if you're a guest with us, uh, uh, it's part of our identity, part of our tradition, is to take communion each and every week. And so around the room are the elements of communion. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you come from a tradition where this wasn't practiced, or, or maybe you have questions. That we'd love to share with you a little bit more about this time, but what we can tell you is that it's sacred space. It's sacred alignment space to align our lives, to align our hearts, to align our attentions again with those of Jesus Christ. The elements of communion are the bread and the cup, which represent his body and blood shed for us so that we'd be forgiven, so that we could enter into the kind of life he said is possible. So in just a minute, I'll say a prayer and I'll dismiss you to these tables I encourage you to, be, to meditate and to reflect. Maybe it's a great time to share. Maybe even invite somebody else into your life and say, you know, I've, I've just been in inertia. I've been, I haven't had any movement in, in far too long, and I'm ready to grow. Can you help me? Maybe it's a place where you can connect with someone else and make a commitment to begin to meet together, to pray together, to grow. It's also a time of of response for us. And so if there's ways that we can pray for you, uh, maybe you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ in baptism, man, we, we would want to honor that commitment. And we have everything you need. And I'll just move to the back. And uh, if that's a place for you, if there's ways we can pray for you or serve you, then man, I, I'd be honored if uh, you'd give us that chance. Let me say a prayer and I'll dismiss us to a time of communion. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its challenge and its depth. God, if, if maybe we're sitting here thinking, you know, it's, it, it's been a while since I've, I've really leaned into this thing. God, maybe, maybe some of us have just been coasting. Father God, what, how you can, where you can, not, not from, I don't think from guilt, but, but with the power of your spirit, if you, could, if you could help us to lean in again, to consider 
the virtues that come from a life lived in obedience to your son Jesus. Father God, let today, and, and, and it can be today, there's no reason that it can't be today. Father God, let today be a first step. Create opportunity for study. Father God, maybe pray for the parents here today that are, that are worrying about their kids and their kids' faith. God, let today be a first step where they find time together with you. Father God, help us to bend every energy, to make every effort, to hold nothing back in our pursuit of you. Because God, we know that when it came to us, you held nothing back out of love, sacrificing even your own son. It's in his name that we pray. And everyone together says,